Welcome to Screw the Hierarchy, episode 102. This is your host, Deb Falzoy, and this week we're talking about how Asian American leaders can resolve conflict. I'm talking with leadership coach Jerry Fu, who works specifically with Asian American leaders and and transforms them through some of their biggest challenges in resolving conflict. Are you ready to hear what Jerry has to say? More after this. If you're a target of workplace abuse and want to break free of the grips of abusive power, you've found your place. I'm your host, Deb Falzoy, and the podcast begins now. Before I get started today, I want to talk about Patreon. I have a new Patreon account at patreon.com slash screw the hierarchy, and I have a really quick survey on there about what kind of rewards you'd like. Everything from early access to episodes, to exclusive episodes, behind the scenes content. All right, so what was your um, journey to adapting leaders and what made you wanna help uh, workers with conflict resolution and more specifically Asian American leaders? Yeah, it's it's, it's definitely quite a journey. went from ideally being a pre-med in college, got to see an organic chemistry and realized, uh, you know, I could still pursue it, but I knew that I didn't have a strong enough reason to pursue being a physician and uh, still wanted to do healthcare, ended up deciding on pharmacy. And so pursued pharmacy school, graduated from pharmacy school and um, in the process, wanted to just have an easy job um and you know basically pharmacists were being paid very well to essentially count by fives and not everyone likes hearing me say that but it was true (laughs) and um so what happens then is that um after five years of getting complacent and working in a chain pharmacy i i said you know no i i have enough i need to keep going i need to do something else but i didn't have a residency i didn't have um, a PhD, so I couldn't pursue a, a teaching job at a at a conventional uh, university. So, a friend who worked for a pharmacy consulting company here in Houston um, said, "Hey, I got promoted, and my previous teaching position is open. Uh, would you like to apply for it?" And I said, "Absolutely." So I walk away from a job from with full time hours and benefits in Tennessee, where I was living at the time. And then um, I end up at a part-time job with this consulting company with the hopes of earning my way up. And so 11 months later, I get fired. And that was my fault. <laughs> and uh, realized very quickly, number one, I wasn't that serious about becoming an instructor. And also that now, you know, there's no crying over spilled milk. I have to pay my bills. I can't move back home. Uh, my previous position was filled. So now I really have to uh, think on my feet and find my own way. Ended up at another uh, pharmacy job, House of Cards, where four of my paychecks bounced while filling for crooked doctors. And so here is where my aversion to conflict really uh, held me back because, right, how, I didn't even know how to confront my boss it was clearly ripping me off, right? So that was that was a big problem. And so after nine months of that, um, my friends got me out of that job into another one, which was more legitimate, but money was very tight. And they told me, hey, we like you, but we can't pay you more than eight hours a week. I said, okay. <laughs> Just curveball after curveball. And 
So the option they gave me was to get more hours by working for the store out in Austin, which is about two and a half hours away from Houston. And, you know, Austin is a great city. I could end up in worse places, but it just wasn't home at this point. So I, I moved to Austin temporarily, briefly, um, with no idea what my life is going to look like at this point. And so that summer was a pivotal one because that was the summer that some friends of mine who run a pharmacy leadership nonprofit that I know through my fraternity asked me to help out with their leadership meeting uh, at, at a national level. They said, hey, we know you've been uh, facilitating workshops on the, on the fraternity side, and there's an opportunity here on the leadership side. Would you be interested? And I said, absolutely. And so leadership for me was one of those things I just didn't like being bad. I just didn't like being bad at. Um, in chain pharmacy, manager positions get a little more money for a lot more headaches. And that was what I saw leadership as. I just said, you know, I just don't want to take these hits. And I, I try a couple of times, I'm bad at it, you know, addressing bad situations. And I said, okay, no, I'm just going to avoid this altogether. Uh, I don't think I could ever be good at it. And so now, right, after seeing leadership modeled for me and then teaching it to people, um, I said, well, what if I could be a good leader? What would that involve? How would I carry myself? What kind of work would I need to do? And so that fall, I had an interesting opportunity. Either I could stay part-time in Austin with a great work team, or I could take on a full-time manager position that had opened up back in Houston. And I said, I can't stay scared. Um, I'm going to take on this challenge and I'm ready to come home. So I moved back to Houston. Um, I take on this position. I'm very excited up until I get written up for not disciplining or firing problematic technicians, right? This aversion to conflict just kept coming up and I didn't want to have these conversations. I was too much focused on popularity, right? I like being liked, but uh, in leadership, you have to sacrifice popularity for respect. And that was a lesson that I couldn't appreciate until, until later. So while I'm in the doghouse with this company, uh, the owners decided to pull their funding. And so now I was already trying to look for something else, but now, you know, the, the burner kind of heated up a little bit. And so now it's like a little more urgent. Thankfully, I had got an interview with another company. And the only reason I even got their attention was that I have managerial experience on my resume now. And so I said, wow, leadership really saved my career because now I have, uh, you know, a resume that will get the attention of, of more companies. That company only lasted about 11 months before money just was tight and they just said, we can't sustain this. And I said, okay, uh, get on with another company for about two years, great work schedule, flexibility, great work team. But after about two years, insurance took them down. And this is a common theme with a lot of smaller pharmacies, just they just get driven out of business by insurance contracts. And so four years ago, when this happened, I had to ask myself, well, what am I really about? I'm tired of chasing scripts. I'm tired of begging, you know, fighting insurances for reimbursement rates, things like that. But I love teaching these leadership workshops, which I had consistently done since uh, 2012. And um, I said, well, what would a career in leadership, teaching, coaching, facilitating look like? And still very scared of rejection, still very scared of failure. Um, even though some friends were kind enough to kind of give me a chance because they knew I could, I could lead a workshop well, but it was still more of a hobby than a calling. And then I, I tell people it took a pandemic for me to kind of wake up and realize how much longer can I put this off? And so last October, finally filed the LLC, got the bank account open, the website up. And so, yeah, that is the journey 
over spanning 16 years of how I went from pharmacy to um, coach. And in a way, I still am pharmacy. I still haven't got, I still haven't closed the door on that completely because as you can tell, uh, I'm still at my day job. And so I'm, I'm using this to kind of sustain things until I'm able to get my coaching business up to a full, a full-time uh, endeavor. Love that. Um, like trusting your, like just following what, what excited you. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm curious to hear more about, about the, the conflict resolution piece of it and specifically like um, your, your focus on Asian American leaders and the struggles that are specific yeah. um, to them. So can you talk more about that part of it? Absolutely. Yeah. So it's funny. Um, after I said, okay, I'm going to be a leadership coach. Right. And everyone's like, oh yeah, join the club. <laughs> There's so many leadership coaches out there. And I, you know, I joined the club, literally, you know, I, uh, the international coaching federation, I got my training through them and you realize quickly, you have to niche down. You have to figure out how to position yourself in any market really, but especially for coaching, because if I had known I was going to go from one saturated job market to another, <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't know how I would have, I maybe would have double, double checked myself, but, um, what they say in coaching is that your ideal client is who you were 10 years ago. Um, so that was one clue as to who I want to serve. And I do have a heart for other Asian Americans who grew up being told one set of beliefs, but then realizing that their day-to-day life, uh, you know, involved challenges that these beliefs did not address. Right. Um, and one of them is conflict. And what I tell people is that I don't know how much I chose conflict as opposed that it chose me because I've dealt with conflict on so many levels, whether personal or professional, that that it's the same thing with leadership. The struggle became a fascination. And so knowing how much Asians struggle with conflict is uh, the reason I, I want to help them with it and through it, because I know just how unpleasant it can be. And so to have a guide that can kind of give them a roadmap to say, hey, you know, these challenges aren't going to go away even if you avoid them well. And even if you avoid them well, uh, the consequences of avoiding them are actually going to cost you in the long run. If the short game is something you enjoy playing where you say, hey, I just don't want to deal with this conflict. Let me just say yes to everything or let me just disengage every time someone comes at me when they're upset with me. Um, You're going to really deny yourself uh, some really lasting relationships because the strongest relationships aren't absence of conflict. They know how to deal with conflict more in a more healthy way. And so um, in niching down, you, you get a better idea, a clear idea of who you want to serve. And that has three benefits. Um, one is to say, hey, this coach says, hey, he knows me. He knows my pain points. I want his help. Uh, number two is for someone to say, well, I'm not in that group, but I know someone who is, uh, maybe I make an introduction, right? Or three, um, someone says, well, I'm not in your group, but I struggle with those same pain points. How could we possibly work together? So from a business standpoint and a personal standpoint, it's a no-brainer to niche down quickly. And it's not that it's set in stone, um, and I could adjust it at any time, but uh, for the time being, this is what, this is, these are the people I have a heart for. This is the problem I want to help them solve. And so we'll see who takes me up on it yeah um you mentioned um like saying yes a lot in a Mm -hmm. in 
like not wanting to address the conflict head on and then not, mm-hmm. but also, you know, not wanting to deal with the consequences of, of uh, the con of not addressing the conflict. Mm-hmm. So what are, what are some of the biggest challenges um, that this population has in dealing with conflict and what are some of the, the transformations that you've, you've seen? What are, what are um, people able to do, you know, I, I, yeah, yeah. How are they able to overcome these conflicts or the yeah. challenges? I should say with the conflict. Yeah, 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 yeah. Great question. So uh, let's 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 dive into some examples so that we're not just talking uh, in in vague terms. So I'll give an example that I saw growing up from my parents, um, or a couple of them actually. So one, uh, while I was in college, one of my other friends uh, said, "Hey, you know, I'm road tripping through uh, your part of town. I'd love to stop in for a day or two. Let's hang out." said hey mom you know i'm at home i'm home for the summer hey mom you know can can gary come stay with us not his real name but we're just going to use gary and so hey uh, can gary come by and my mom so yeah 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 you know yeah you should hang out with your friends let let me come by so gary comes by we hang out for a couple days you know my mom is perfectly kind and generous with him we're hospitable right and then as soon as gary leaves my mom you know, just sort of starts complaining. Can you believe this? You know, Gary didn't make his bed after he left. Gary left hair in the shower. You know, you know, he didn't clean up after himself. No, yeah, like I wouldn't invite him back again. And this is the model of conflict that I was, I was basically, you know, taught, right? Let people save face, even if quietly you're resentful inside because they didn't meet the expectations, you didn't communicate to them from the beginning. And then after they've messed up, you quietly just kind of push them out the door and then just, you know, pocket beat to the friendship after, after they've, you know, not met your expectations or lost your trust, right? Um, how can you, you know, alternatively, maybe let's, let's try this uh, different scenario where, you know, when Gary comes over, my mom says, hey, Gary, you know, thanks for taking the effort to come by. I'm excited that you get to hang out together. And, you know, we have specific rules, like, you know, we expect guests to honor, because if there's the same ones that we live by whenever we go visit people and stay in their homes, right? One is that you leave the room exactly the way you found it, uh, even better, maybe than you found, it, right? Um, all the best guests bring some kind of gift with them as an appreciation for their host, right? This is also true for the bathroom, right? Please clean up after yourself, right? It says a lot about who you are by the way you leave things, you know, after you've used them. So um, in order to make sure that we stay uh, on good terms, and this is not a threat, this is just letting you know, hey, these are the standards we live by, these are the standards we hope you will honor, uh, in an effort to maintain a good relationship, right? Are you willing to do this? Yeah. Yes or no? Yes, great. You know, we'll, we'll trust that you're going to honor it. If the answer is no, hey, well, how can we help you make sure you do your part to honor, right? And to really get things out in the open first and to be willing and courageous enough to explain your expectations, not just set them, but explain them so that people can appreciate the context for it, right? Um, I think it would save us a lot of problems when people are willing to speak up and share that. So um, that's one situation. Another, similarly, is when 
a Muslim friend of mine while we were uh, in, both in college at different colleges. We were home for the summer hanging out and you know he was dating a Christian girl and they were in a rough patch in their relationship and me being a Christian, he asked for you know scripture on things you know just to kind of help sort through her frame of mind and her paradigm on life. And so I share with them some things. And he goes, hey, okay, this is really helpful. And he copies me in on the email that he sends her, uh, you know, making the case as to why they should be together. And the way he cited the scripture was clearly not what I told him. He just kind of bent the scripture to, you know, uh, bolster his case. And I got really upset. And my mom saw me get really upset as I was reading this email. And I said, I'm going to have to talk to him. And she goes, no, 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 no. Like, don't, it's not worth losing this friendship over this kind of argument. Please don't bring this up. So what did that leave me with? A whole lot of resentment, right? That may or may not go away with time, right? And so these are the, but this is what it dealt with. Even in customer service, right? In a retail pharmacy, they just say, hey, customers always right. Even if what they're asking for isn't reasonable, just placate them because we got to play the long game here and we got to, we have to, you know, keep them happy because otherwise, you know, we can't pay your paycheck if they're not, you know, being paying customers. Yeah, how's that working for me? You know, how's that working for anybody, right? How, what about all the other customers that are actually playing by the rules and being good customers without having to resort to these kind of things and they see us condone bad behavior? What about the business we lose from those customers, right? When they see that we play favorites, especially if the squeaky wheel, you know, gets all the grease, you know, what kind of effect does that have on your employees, right? And the kind of precedent you set. So, yeah, this is, this is independent of even any of the racial challenges that, you know, we're, we're put on top of, you know, thankfully for the last 10 or 11 years living in Houston, I have not experienced any racism, like firsthand anyway, you know, no, I've not been assaulted. I've not, I've not, um, you know, gotten any, you know, disparaging remarks sent my way, but what I always tell people, and I had to share this with an older gentleman at a networking event a couple months ago, right? Just because I haven't experienced this doesn't mean that the problem is, is overrated or somehow blown out of proportion. Because a story that's not shared a lot about Houston's Chinatown is that it was built on discrimination. At one point, all the city officials said, hey, we don't want the agents here. We're going to put them in this part of the city. And to add insult to injury, they divide up the voting district in such a way where they can't even concentrate any political leverage with their group. They like they cut it in half. And so now, right, people are like, is it really that bad? And I said, just because there's an oppressive system in play that does not result in direct physical violence does not mean things are okay. In fact, they are far from okay because, you know, the local organization of Chinese Americans chapter, they have plenty of works on some political advocacy and they talk about the you know increased per percentages of Asians who are screened at voting booths, even though they're legitimate citizens, right? Just their mere appearance and the threat of, uh, you know, the, the threat of yellow peril or whatever, they're afraid that, you know, they're not gonna be in control anymore, right? They, there are measures in place to keep us in check. And here's the other flip side is that China wants to be the next US. We're not denying that there are people in our race that want to be the next superpower, right? And there is more than enough incidences of, you know, people coming over here to steal secrets. Like, I'm not going to deny that that is a part of it. But to blanket all of us and to lump all of us in that same, in that same group is insulting.
right? Like to say, well, there's one bad apple, they must all be bad apples, so we just have to stop this, right? That's, that's one way to solve the problem and not a very good one, right? So these are, these are the nuances that I hope you know, other Asian Americans recognize and they're tired of just staying pent up and, and you know, frustrated about it, right? And not to simply, you know, return punch for punch, but to, you know, like absorb that punch and then throw it back at them in a way that says, hey, this, let's be the powerful mirror. Hey, this is not okay. I need you to talk about this with me, right? And you're not going to go away like we're not going to move on to anything else until we address this problem. And I say this not out of vengeance, not out of spite, not out of punitive uh, fighting, but because I care enough about you as another human being where I want both of us to be seen, heard, and respected. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it, it seems um, that like universally things always go back to how can I like stand in my power by having my voice acknowledged and mm -hmm. feeling heard and then, you know, uh, understanding the, the systems that get, get brought into it as well and how they contribute to the whole um, stereotyping of people and silence, you know, the perpetuating of, of silencing people. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so it, it sounds like, um, you know, focusing on that voice aspect and assertiveness and um, challenging stereotypes is such a key piece piece of what you're doing. Um, are there any like tips that you, or other kind of, or either specific tips or just um, anything else general to, um, for, that you have for people looking to, to resolve conflict as Asian American leaders? I mean, I know that's what you, you focus on in your work anything um, mm -hmm. that you might want to pass along? Of course, yeah, happy to share. So the framework that I've kind of come up with, you know, from dealing, having dealt with so many personal and professional challenges, um, I can go ahead and cite some some of the material that I read, you know, or some people pointed me towards. Just so if people want to study the source material, they can. Uh, two main books. Uh, difficult conversations and also the four conversations are are books that help address conflict well uh, specifically in the four conversations they talk about a closure conversation which discusses how to handle broken expectations whether in an organization or otherwise whether someone breaks a promise of some kind you know here's a framework to kind of help you uh, reconcile things and so uh, my own five-step um, you could say plan number one is to imagine what a successful conversation looks like or sounds like to you, right? When, say, you know, an employee needs to talk to her boss about a possible raise that she needs to justify, right? How do you imagine that conversation sounds? Because if you don't go in with an end goal in mind, right, or what something would sound, you know, reasonable, uh, you're not going to experience success unless, unless you imagine it first, right? If you just go in and charge ahead and, you don't think about, oh, what do I need to say? You know, you just know, oh, well, we have to address this. And it's like, okay, well, you know, failing to plan is planning to fail, right? Uh, yeah, courage, uh, you get points for courage, but not much more than that, right? <laughs> so that's, that doesn't help. So think about what a successful conversation would sound like. The next is to find 10 seconds of courage. 
too often, and I know I've been guilty of this myself, right? Too often people feel like they have to be Superman or Wonder Woman in order to finally charge ahead and get that ball rolling. When really, you just need just enough to kind of tip the boulder over the edge and set it into motion. And then that way you can't back out, right? You're like, well, already found testing courage to send that email, send that text, pick up the phone. Okay, right. Um, yeah, I can't back out. I have to, I have to move this forward. The third is to script your key phrases. So in line with envisioning success, now you want to get very specific about the things you need to address and the things you want to say. Um, and not only do you want to write this out so you can organize it, now you need to rehearse them, which is step four. You want to practice saying these things in front of a mirror, or you want to record yourself on your phone or get feedback from friends, you know, have, have someone role play as your boss, you're trying to get the race from and you know, anticipate other barriers to pushback. Because the, the more you train in the dojo, the more likely you are to actually, you know, fight well on the street, you know, to use one analogy. And then finally, you got to do it, follow through, right? Um, you've done too much planning and thinking just to say, okay, yeah, I'm happy with this. Like, this is enough. It's like, no, you actually have to uh, translate this into action. Otherwise, nothing gets better, right? And so when things don't go according to script, because as, as one general likes to say, no plan survives attack by the enemy. But it's not about having the perfect plan. It's just embracing the process of planning and then executing. And you know, if the principles are there, you probably be able to improv enough to still find your way to the finish line, even if you have to take a slightly different path. Right. Um, so that is the framework that I usually um, talk about uh, with my clients or with groups when they deal with conflict, because a, a, a big problem is that there's no plan. Like if they don't have clear steps as to how to get from A to B, they're not going to do it. They're just going to say, well, I don't know how to get there. And this seems really hard. But when you break things down um, and into manageable steps, uh, people are more likely to follow through. And also then you also have to ask them, you know, what are the benefits of having this conversation, right? What is avoiding this conversation costing you, right? How much longer can you afford to sit in resentment and you're unfocused and you're unproductive because you have this thing sitting on your head that's distracting you? Um, and that was a big turning point for me when I realized, you know, when technicians were underperforming and they weren't going to get better because to expect them to figure this out on their own, it hasn't worked yet, but people keep hoping. And so this is what I use whenever I fall back into bad habits as well to say, Hey, I can't afford to stay silent about this because what will happen if I stay silent, they're not going to get better. I'm going to stay resentful or even worse. I overcompensate. Now I'm working two jobs for the price of one and I'm going to complain about burnout right now. I'm not a fun leader to be around because I didn't want to deal with this conflict. It tells me that my relationships are not strong enough to, to have this conflict uh, or to address it well. So, um, yeah, let me live by my own rules. Let me practice what I preach. Let me take a spoon of my own medicine and show people, Hey, look, um, it works not because I, I yell louder than anybody else, but I can show you with my life that I've had to, uh, live, you know, use this formula and it's, and it's paid dividends for sure. Yeah. I love that formula. It just reminds me of how, um, like powerful it is to to simply communicate our needs and mm -hmm. 
um, how often things can get resolved when we, when, when that's what we do. And so often, yeah, just like you, you like you just explained, um, we're finding all these like ways to not have to do that because it's yeah. hard. So I love that um, framework for just making it easier and, mm-hmm. and um, making it, yeah, making it um, more comfortable. Yeah, I should say to, to just do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do people reach you, Jerry? Yeah, um, you can find me on LinkedIn if you want to uh, connect with me there. Otherwise, uh, but the better, I think the better way is to uh, go to my website, www.adaptingleaders.com. And um, from there, you can schedule a complimentary 30-minute call. Tell me your story. Tell me what you're working on. See if I can help you with anything. Uh, you can also download a free PDF with the framework that I just talked about. It's got some more specific examples to work through and, you know, uh, you know, as also shared a case study, you know, how, you know, this framework can work for people. And you can also uh, check out my blog. I've summarized and give takeaways from interesting and useful leadership books and also just some life hacks. So yeah, easiest way, www.adapticleaders.com. Thank you for listening to Screw the Hierarchy. If you feel like you need more help, I have a free guide to recovery steps at dignitytogether.org slash targets and a sign up for daily boosts through your inbox at the same place. All of the content in this podcast was created and edited by yours truly, Deb Falzoy, and the music you heard is from Kevin McLeod. All right, have a wonderful rest of your week and I will see you on the next episode. Bye.